Well, hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Hope for Our Times here on Sunday night. So happy to have you tuned in to the program tonight. Uh, just want to let you know, Pastor Tom is not here tonight, so he's asked me to fill in for him for just one more week. He'll be back with you uh, next week, but wanted to let you know... Um, who I am. I'm Pastor Tim Thompson. I'm the senior pastor of 412 Church out in Marietta. And so Pastor Tom Hughes is my pastor. And um, I also run an organization called Our, um, Our Watch with Tim Thompson. And the whole idea of Our Watch is we are trying to take Judeo-Christian values and put them into the public square and really take back the public square. So uh, as Pastor Tom has asked me to fill in tonight, just want to open up uh, with something from the Word of God, if I may, and explain just a couple of things how I see prophetically we are heading in a certain direction and, and want to share that with you. But the, the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, uh, I really identify with the prophet Habakkuk because he says this, and, and understand the book of Habakkuk, what this is, is it is a, a dialogue between a, a human being and God, and that's the entire book. It's just this back and forth conversation with a human and the one true living God, and this is what Habakkuk says to uh, the Lord. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear, even cry out to you violence and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me, and there is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless, the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Now, like I said, I identify with the prophet Habakkuk. He's in a day, in an age where wickedness is just rampant. It's everywhere he looks. He says the law is powerless. Perverse judgments are going forth. And I think if, if you're anything like me, you feel kind of the same way. We look around and, and there's people that would cry out for justice, but we don't see justice. And we see the law in our land and it seems as though the law is powerless. And it's a frustration for those of us that adhere to Judeo-Christian biblical worldview as we open up the pages of scripture and we look at what God says, the things that we're supposed to be looking for, uh, we're watching, we're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ and as we're waiting for it, we can't help but to see that things are getting progressively worse. And I read the, the response of, you know, Habakkuk cries out to the Lord, you know, this is how I feel, why do I have to see such wickedness prevailing in the the nation I love, and I feel the same way. This is what God says. He says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. And what God is telling the prophet Habakkuk, he says, listen, I'm at work. Even though you don't see it, even though you don't understand it, I'm at work. In fact, I'm doing something right now that's so great that even if I was to tell you what it was, you wouldn't believe me. And as I consider the words that God spoke to Habakkuk, I wonder, what is God doing in our day? As we look around, it's clear that 
God is at work, Satan's at work. Uh, both of them are, are doing something in many ways. I, I look at Satan right now as a cornered cat. He's just trying to do whatever he can because he is losing. But we think about the Lord and what he's doing. And, and really what happened in the time of Habakkuk, he was raising up the Chaldeans. He was raising up, kind of how I say, he was raising up the bully to give his son a spanking. You know, um, That was really what it was. They were, they were a wicked, you know, just a horrible nation, and God allowed them to come in and bring judgment upon the people of Israel. Now, we look at what's going on today, and the state that I live in, California, we have a governor that's um, really putting out some perverse, wicked things. And it makes me wonder, is this God at work? Is God using this man to bring judgment upon the church? And I would submit to you that, that in many ways that, that is true. This is what's happening not just in California, but we see it all over the nation where God is using even wicked men and women to stir things up, bring judgment upon the church. For example, what happened just this weekend, uh, here in California at least, there was a judgment that went forward from our governor. He said, listen, you're going to go ahead and be able to gather together and you're going to be able to be in your church services this Sunday, but don't sing. Don't worship is what he's saying. I mean, when we gather together on a Sunday morning corporately, we worship, and this is the idea. We gather together, we sing out songs of praise to Jesus, and it's the way that we, we gather together to worship. So he's saying, go ahead and gather for your worship services, but don't worship. And that is a wicked judgment. That is a wicked edict that's been given out here in the state of California. And so uh, it's up to men and women like you, uh, people who adhere to a Judeo-Christian value, to really stand for righteousness. You know, I know that there are churches all over the state of California and even across the nation this Sunday that regardless of whatever order's been given, they gather together and they worship. They sang out songs of praise to Jesus. And I think it's just such a, a beautiful thing. But we take a look at what Habakkuk said to God. You know, the law seems powerless, perverse judgments are going forth, and in many ways we're seeing that play out right here in America. And so what do we do in response to this? Well, number one, what we have to do is understand that we have to be politically active. Now, that might sound weird. I know this is a prophecy uh, show, but understand this is we are waiting for the return of Christ, and as we wait, he is going to have us be the two things that he called us to be, salt and light. Salt is a preservative, so we preserve our community. Light exposes the wickedness that's in the darkness. So um, we have to be those two things until he returns, which means we have to expose the things that are going on in our culture. There are so many things going on in, our, uh, in, our, in the political realm. And some people say, well, Pastor Tim, you know, you, you're talking a lot to people that are you know, elected officials, why are you getting so political? And my response is simple. My response is that we have politicized biblical and moral issues. We politicize borders. How many of you know that there's the spirit of Antichrist moving all throughout this world that wants to tear down borders and wants to have a one world government so he can be the one who's in charge? Well, we take a look at the issue of borders and people without even realizing it, when they're saying, no, we want to tear down the borders, we don't, we don't want any borders, we just want a one world thing, even if they don't realize that what they're doing is supporting 
the Antichrist and his endeavor to rule the world. So we politicized an issue there that's biblical and moral. We, we politicized marriage. We politicized sexuality. We uh, politicized gender. We've politicized every issue you can think of. And what happens is pastors go, well, I don't talk about that because that's political. I don't get political. I just preach Jesus. And what happens is because they, they don't get political, they end up preaching nothing because they don't touch the topics that people need to know. How do we address these issues from the pulpit? And so we have to get involved in the political realm by, by voting and holding our elected officials accountable to God's word, specifically when we have uh, elected officials that say, hey, listen, I am a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ. Um, we are supposed to hold one another accountable to those things. So um, it's going to be really important for us to keep that in mind, especially tonight as we look at, at our guests. Um, I want to just tell you a couple things about the guest that I'm going to have on tonight. Uh, his name is Mike Hestron. He is the elected Riverside County District Attorney. Uh, he was elected in June of 2014, was sworn in to serve the dis as District Attorney on January 5th, 2015. And one of the things I like about Mike Hestron, uh, the DA in the county that I live in, is that his success is not limited to the legal arena. Uh, in a world of higher education, he's dedicated his spare time to teach at Azusa Pacific University uh, for the past 10 years. He also teaches uh, American government and Latin American history. Please say hello to my guest, DA Mike Hestron. How you doing, sir? Good to see you. Thank you for coming out. Um, it's, um, it's a weird dynamic to have a district attorney and a pastor talking about these issues. Um, and like I was saying, it's, it's one of those things where people will tell pastors, don't get involved politically, but we have to get involved politically when we, when we politicize biblical moral issues. And um, you're on this, this end of the law, and we're on a program right now that reaches out, I mean, countless people. And... and we're talking specifically with you being here in Riverside County, Southern California. Um, we're in this area that, that California is kind of this, this springboard, really. I hate to agree with the governor because I, I usually don't agree with him. But I agree with him on one thing. He said this one time. He said, as California goes, so goes the nation. And I think he's right when it comes to that. So if we're looking at what happens in our nation and how we move forward, um, there's a lot of truth in that statement. So I wanted to talk to you today about, um, I wanted to talk to you today about a, a very important initiative that's, that's coming up, and um, it's going to happen on the November elections, and uh, it's, it's something that's going to be near and dear to your heart, is this Keep California Safe Act, yes. so we'll, we'll talk about that, but before we, we get into this, why don't you tell us just a kind of state of the union here in California, so that way all the, all the viewers know. All right. Is it on now? Yes, sir. Is it good? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, in California, we are facing many, many challenges. And, you know, I, I would go so far as to say that the, the rule of law is, is under attack. Um, over the last 10 years or so, uh, the laws, the criminal laws, have changed drastically in California. And it, it really, I've been a prosecutor for, I've been working in the criminal uh, justice system for more than 20 years, 23 years. And I, I just, sometimes I don't recognize uh, what, what it's become and what it continues to evolve into. Um, it, it's, it's tough out there. I know that um, across the country you're seeing, you know, the rule of law challenged in different ways right now that with, you know, protests and riots and those kinds of things. But 
that's only the outward manifestation of, of what's going on behind the scenes and underneath. Really what's been happening is a weakening of the rule of law. And, you know, uh, there's, I think governments, in, specifically in California, the government has shown that we're not all that uh, serious about enforcing the law. Let, let me give you some examples. Um, you know, basic laws like theft, basic laws, um, you know, crimes like theft and, and, and crimes that um, the vast majority of public would say, you know, need to be enforced, something as simple as car theft. In Riverside County, though we enforce it, uh, there's really not any punishment for it anymore. The laws have changed so drastically that, um, you know, I just got a call from a constituent the other day saying there's a, a gentleman that's been, uh, you know, stealing cars in Hemet and they've got five in a row, and every time they go in, they get arrested. They're, they're out before the police can finish uh, you know, filing the paperwork. That, that's the state of affairs in California. And, and me, as an elected official, I try to respond to my constituents, but what I have to say to them, if I'm honest, is there's nothing we can do. I can't do anything for you. I know that this individual keeps terrorizing and, and you know, victimizing the community. They've taken the power for me to intervene as the district attorney, and that's, yeah. it's very frustrating. Sure. I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's frustrating for you. It's frustrating for our law enforcement officials, um, our, our deputies, our police officers that are out there arresting these guys only to find them out, out like they haven't even finished their report. Like you said, they're right. back out. Uh, Matthew 24, God says that because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And we see that as we look into our culture and, and the violence that's taking place, you know, even, even some of these protests that turn violent. You know, where they may begin trying to, to start off, hey, we're going to be peaceful, but there's a lack of love that you can see in many of these protests. It's, it's a response that uh, stems from hate and frustration, not love. And, and God said this, that lawlessness will abound and love of many will grow cold. So um, being here in California, I saw this really stem from a proposition that took place just a few years back, Prop 57. Yes. And that really was devastating, in my opinion. It was devastating to our state. And because we set a precedence for the rest of the nation, um, I think it was devastating for the entire nation. Um, you know, Prop 57 was passed in 2016, but um, there are things about that that really changed the dynamics for people like you and what yeah. we do. Can you talk to that? Yeah, it, let me, if it's okay if I give it a little background. Please, yeah. so, so Proposition 57 was an initiative, so passed by the voters. Uh, it, was, it was very much pushed by the governor at the time, Governor Jerry Brown. And the, the whole idea behind Prop 57 was to let people that are in prison, uh, give, them an, give them an incentive to rehabilitate, and so that they would do their um, you know, classes and take you know, better themselves, take AA, take NA, all the things that, that they should be doing in prison. Um, and that sounds great on the surface. You know, who could be against that? Everybody's, everybody's in favor of rehabilitating people who have, who have done wrong. Here's the problem. When, when they sold that to the public in California, they said, don't worry, this is only going to apply to nonviolent offenders. And, and I should point out that what the law really did is it allowed people that are in prison currently to get out substantially early on their sentence. So if they were doing a 10-year sentence or a 15-year sentence, they could cut that in half or more. Um, all they have to do is apply to a, a special parole board, say, uh, I've been rehabilitated, show them that they've done these rehabilitative uh, classes, and they are eligible to get out. Well, Governor Brown at the time said, you know, this will not apply to any nonviolent crimes. Well, the, the problem was is that in California, the list of what qualifies as a violent crime is, is set forth in the penal code. 
but it's not an exhaustive list. In other words, a lot of crimes that you and I would think of as violent or heinous were, were not on that list. So what started happening is a lot of prisoners that were sent to prison for doing some really terrible things uh, were all of a sudden eligible for, these, uh, for this release. And then Governor Brown, even the Supreme Court said, the way the law is written, these folks that you didn't intend or supposedly didn't intend to be eligible are now going to be eligible. And so we've got to fix this. And I want to give you some examples of the, the, the current state of the law in California. So if, you, if, if a prisoner is, is in prison and he's been convicted of uh, trafficking a child for sex, that's not considered a violent crime. That person can get released early in California. Let's, let, let's just repeat what you just said. Yeah. And that way, in case people tuning in, they're like, wait a minute, what just they'll, happened? They'll be shocked. Yeah, yeah. So in the state of California, if you are trafficking a child, that's not violent. Not considered a violent crime. Yeah. And, and therefore, that person who's in prison is eligible for early release. That, that is a huge problem. Again, going back to the attack on the rule of law, when a prosecutor goes into court and charges someone for tra you know, trafficking a child for sex, and we're trying to deal with that victim and, and just the, the absolute devastation in that life, you know, one of the things that we say to the families or, or the victim is, we're, we're going to put your abuser away for a set number of years. And, and, I, and I hope that that person tries to get rehabilitated. But there is no way they should be getting out early, th three years or four years or five years. What we're going to end up with is a lot more victims. Let me give you a few other examples. I just I want, to, I want you to kind of, your viewers, to get a sense of this. Um, deme felony domestic violence, not considered a violent crime in California. Think about that. Orwellian yeah. as that is, right? Yeah. It's actually called domestic violence, not violent. Assault on a peace officer in California, not violent. Um, using an, using a, a arson is not violent. Using a bomb to hurt someone in California is not violent. So the list goes on and on, and it, and it is, it, it's atrocious, it's embarrassing. Um, you know, as a prosecutor, when, if I'm talking to colleagues from other states, it's, this is embarrassing uh, to, to say that these crimes are not considered violent. But more than that, Pastor, is this, the public knows when, when the laws have stopped uh, being true. In other words, when, when, when the laws are built and infused with lies, the public knows it. Mm -hmm. And they begin to lose faith and trust in the government and the officials who administer those laws. That is what's really devastating. Because you, know, you say to the normal public, you know, hey, my child was, was taken or trafficked. And I say to them, well, the, the, the abuser is going to get out because considered nonviolent. I can, I can work and explain till I'm blue in the face, but that parent is never going to trust California and the government again. Right. And why should they? Let's right. be honest. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's difficult because we live in uh, this time where things like Prop 57 have been passed, but we're the ones that passed it. Right. And, you know, one of the beautiful things about living in a democratic republic is we have a say. You know, we're, we're able to vote and get what we want. Unfortunately, we're voting for things, um, either A, we don't understand what we're voting for because yeah. of how it's written, or, or B, we legitimately want this, even though it's wicked. And I know there's many people in California, and not just California, but across this nation, that they want to do away with law enforcement. They want to yeah. do away with criminal justice. They, they just want everybody to be able to do whatever they, they feel like doing. And biblically, I mean, you're, you can't speak you know, on behalf of the Bible, that's my job. Um, but, you know, the thing is, biblically, 
we see this throughout the history of God's creation is, is men and women doing what's right in their own eyes and that being very, very terrible for them. Yeah. And we, you know, we, do what we, we just do what we think is good. Well, what we think is good isn't always good. In fact, the Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. Yeah. You know, so we're, we're in times where the will of the people have spoken uh, in a democratic republic. We voted for Prop 57, and yet now we've got to reap the, the repercussions of what we voted for, and it makes it very difficult. I know one of the things about that Prop 57 also is it, it takes some of the power out of your hands. Say if, uh, if a child is committed this crime, you could decide, okay, are we gonna try this person as an adult? That's my understanding is it takes yeah. some of that out, out of your hands as well. Yes, it, it, uh, the, the laws changed and, and took the, the filing uh, decision out of the hands of prosecutors when it came to juveniles, that, yeah. that is correct. Yeah, so, in, in some ways, we're continuing to empower juveniles to get away with things. And, um, you know, it, it's really uh, frustrating because the Bible actually tells us in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, it says, to know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Uh, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, brosters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, uh, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And, and the Bible says of such people, turn away. Um, this is where we're at. This is yeah. something that was written some 2,000 years ago, and yet we're in a, living in a time where people are disobedient to their parents. Yeah. They think, I can do whatever I want, and in fact, they... they feel empowered that they may even have more rights than their parents. I know within the public school system, that's absolutely true. Yeah. The, the children have more rights in the public school system than, than the parents do nowadays. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, really, uh, it's really frustrating, but um, I wanna talk about Prop 20 that's on the ballot this November and uh, the Keep California Safe Initiative. Yeah. So why don't we go ahead and, and kind of bring up some of the stuff that that's going to hopefully fix some of these things. Yeah, so so a few years ago, based on everything I'm telling you, and, and we haven't even discussed Prop 47. If I if I could just mention sure. that really quickly, sure. Prop 47 passed in 2014. So uh, I I was I was elected in June, and Prop 47 passed in November. So right as I'm starting this job as the elected DA, Prop 47 goes in, and what it did is it it, it reduced all possession of drugs from felonies to misdemeanors, and then it made all theft crimes. Uh, where the person steals less than $950, a misdemeanor. And the worst thing about that is, is that somebody could go into a store and, and steal something, as long as it was under 950, it's a misdemeanor, but they could do that and get caught a thousand times in a row, and we could only ever charge them with a misdemeanor. So again, you know, uh, we're not able to, to really intervene in someone who's living a criminal lifestyle, right? right. Basically, again, when, when store owners call me and say, you know, I, I'm getting, I'm getting uh, robbed every day. They say robbed, but you know, the theft. People right. go in and they're just taking their merchandise and leaving. There's really nothing we can do except give them a misdemeanor. And if someone's already got a felony or they've already been to prison, they don't care about a misdemeanor on their record, right? right? There's no punishment. Right. So that's the situation along with Prop 57 that you mentioned. So a few years ago, a few elected DAs, myself included, kind of got together and started talking about, hey, we got to do something. Uh, we certainly tried to go through the legislature and got nowhere. Yeah, good luck with that in California. Got nowhere. Yeah. Um, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't even hear us. They don't even want to hear us. Um, and so we said, we're going to go to the people. And what, what the authors did, and I wasn't one of the people that wrote it, but what the authors did, and I think they did a good job, is they wrote it 
kind of right down the middle, a common sense approach. So instead of overturning all the reform laws that have, have uh, been passed in recent years, they, they peeled back some of the worst uh, unintended consequences. So for example, it fixes that list of those, those crimes that should be felonies. Uh, trafficking a child for sex will be a felony. I mean, sorry, will, will not be eligible for early release. Um, it, the theft crime, the theft part of, uh, in California, if they take it from 950 to 250, and, and if you do it three times in a row, you can get a felony. So again, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it's not gonna be a silver bullet in a sense, uh, but it's gonna be a vast improvement. And so it is on the November ballot. We got it qualified. A lot of hard work went into that. And so I'm really urging people to vote for it. We need this change. Look, we should always be um, willing to reform our laws. You know, we're, these are laws of men. They're not perfect, right? There, there's, there have always been problems in our laws. So I, I think as an elected official, I look at it when someone says, hey, we need to reform this. I say, okay, I'm all ears. What, let's hear it. Um, a lot of times they don't, they don't really know what they're talking about. But in this case, the reforms have gone too far. And it's, it's leading to a loss of confidence in law enforcement, in government, and we can't protect the public unless we have the tools to do so. So this is gonna start to, to push it back a little bit. I think if the public hears what's in this uh, initiative, they're gonna support it in vast numbers. So let me ask you on this initiative, is it being written in a way that's gonna be easy for people to understand? So when they vote later on, they can't go, well, I didn't realize what I was voting for. It is, it's, it's very straightforward. We, we wrote it straightforward. Now, the, the Attorney General gives it the ballot and title designation. I, I can't, we, we didn't uh, control that. So that's, you know, someone else is gonna describe it, uh, but it's very simple law. It, it basically sets out and fixes those, those four or five areas that are most egregious in, in the reform laws. Okay, so this is gonna expand the list of offenses that qualify yes. an inmate for this. So as it expands it, what kind of pushback do you expect? If, if this was to pass, I mean, what kind of, certainly there are, like I said, there are people who want to do away with oh. prison altogether. Oh, yeah. So what kind of pushback do you expect? Well, I'm already getting a lot of pushback. Sure. <laughs> you know, I, get, I get called all kinds of names, right? Yeah. You can imagine. Yes. Um, so Nobody calls me any names. So. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm every bad thing in the book, yeah. but, but I don't care. You know, I didn't, I didn't step forward to do this job because I want people's approval in that sense. You know, obviously, I have to get elected every four years, and I go to the public and say, hey, if, you know, judge the job I've been doing. But I don't, I don't do it because I want, you know, more friends or to be liked. I have to do what's right. And, you know, in this case, this is the right thing for the people of California. Mm -hmm. um, we need to have laws that are easy to understand, that, you know, everybody that, that hears that the child's been trafficked for sex knows that that's a heinous, violent, horrible thing, that that individual, I hope they get rehabilitated, but they should serve every last day of their sentence, period. And, and that's how the law has to be. It's gotta be uh, you know, strict, finite. We've gotta, um, for certain crimes, we've gotta say that is outrageous. We don't, we don't accept it, we, don't, um, we can't tolerate it. And if we're gonna say as a society we can't tolerate it, then we've gotta have a, a harsh penalty on it. Right, right. So I, I'm gonna read something to you real quick that I shared with our audience earlier, but this is out of the book of Habakkuk. Um, this is a man talking to God. He says, how long shall I cry and you not hear, even cry out to you violence and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. 
Uh, it says there's strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. Um, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like Habakkuk? It's about every morning. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's true. You know, when I tell people, and I've, I've, I've spoken to lots of people who have been terribly victimized, and what I always say to them um, is, you know, look, we're gonna, I'm going to fight hard to get you justice, but please understand that what we try to do is just approximate justice. You know, there's, we don't, only God has true justice, right? We don't have that. I don't, right. I don't have that ability. And so, yeah, it, the, the world that we live in is broken. Uh, people do horrible things to one another. Um, I was telling my wife recently that, you know, I love my job and I, I love everything I've, my career, I wouldn't change a thing. Except there are some days when I uh, become aware of a crime or a new variation on some kind of evil, and I tell my wife, it would have been nice if I was a banker or something. You know, I didn't, didn't um, have to look so directly at it. Right. But, it but it's there. And, um, yeah, I, I feel that way a lot, that, that uh, the world's broken, and we do our very best to try to get justice. We, we can't just give up. Uh, even though, you know, it's difficult, and, and sometimes it seems like everything's stacked against us, we can't give up. We have to keep fighting for justice. Right. Well, you know, I love that attitude. It's really the attitude that, that God has called us to. In Luke chapter 19, he says this to his servants. He says that he delivered to them 10 pounds and said unto them, Occupy until I come. Yeah. I mean, every, every Christian on the face of the planet is waiting for, for Christ to come back. You know, he's been here once. We celebrate, you know, his, his birth on Christmas. We celebrate his resurrection on Easter. And yet this whole time there's this yearning in us to know that, that he's coming back. There's yeah. yearning in us to know that, that we have life everlasting. Uh, as believers, we, we have a, a lot of tremendous hope yeah. in this. And the thing that, that we have to think about is then what do we do while we're living, why are we living? What, what are we going to accomplish as believers in Christ? Uh, because he's called us to be salt and light, salt yeah. being a preservative, light exposing the wickedness that's in the darkness. So we're, we're to occupy until he comes back. So that, that means a lot to us as believers that, that we do wake up and we go, okay, so what do you want me to do today? How am I going to be effective for you? And it truly can be frustrating as, as we seek to be those two things, the salt yeah. and the light. It can be frustrating to, to see that that there are times, and we're living in them, where the law seems powerless. It seems like perverse judgments are going out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, as a pastor, I'm, I'm trying to navigate through things I never thought I would have to navigate through. Um, things like what's going on with, you know, our public school system and what we're teaching children, which is, you know, you and I have talked about that. It's just, yeah. you know, some, some of it is just unreal that they would teach these things to children and expose them. Um, but there again, we have you know these laws that are written in a weird way. That that did, in the uh, public school system for California, they are exempt from the child pornography laws because of them being a school. Yeah. So where you could take a book that's clearly pornographic in nature, if I was to show up at a park and show this to a child, rightly so, I would be arrested. Yeah. But teachers can show it to kids in public school, and well, ah, well, it's it's a public school, so they're exempt. Yeah. Um, these things are just wicked, and yet they're the reality that we're living in. We have to navigate through these things, and um, now we're we're having to navigate through the whole COVID thing. And what do we do with this? Um, you know, we're we're told this weekend no singing in church. I know. I mean, it's just these things are frustrating. But here we are. We're living in times we never really thought we would. These are uncharted waters. Um, 
But I, I, I count it a blessing. You know, we're in, uh, I'm in Riverside County where I've got a, a sheriff that's become kind of a rock star here lately. And, um, you know, he's, he's gotten national attention because of his stance. And, and the majority of the, the residents of Riverside County love the stance that he's taken. And we, we have you as our DA. And this has just been a, it's, it's been at least a breath of fresh air for the, the people who want to see righteousness prevail. Yeah. Um, so from, from your perspective, we've got the, the sheriff running, doing what he's doing. We've got you doing what you're doing. How have you seen you two working together and, you know? Yeah, first of all, uh, I love our sheriff, yeah. just like you. Yeah. Um, we're, we're personal friends. Uh, we, we spend time together, uh, you know, outside of work. Our, our families know each other. And so uh, we, we have a great working relationship. I, yeah. I, I fully support the sheriff, you know. Um, I haven't had to make the choice of whether to prosecute any f so-called mask violations, and, and, mm -hmm. and, and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Because in a time when we, don't, when we don't prosecute thieves, you really want me to prosecute someone and, and potentially put them in jail because they forgot to wear a mask? Right. <laughs> this is the world we're living in, right? right? Um, so obviously, I'm not planning to do that. I, I think that um, in my mind, if, if I got a case, um, and I told the police chiefs this, if we got a case that someone wasn't wearing a mask, we would give them a reminder, hey, you probably should wear a mask. That's, that's the extent of what we would do. Um, it, it's just a crazy time. But the sheriff and I work great together, and we have, uh, we're working on all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Law enforcement in this county, I, I do have to give you a, a little bit of maybe a positive you know, spin. We is, would love some positivity. Yeah, the positive yeah. news is that your law enforcement leaders, from your sheriff, myself, all of the police chiefs across this county, we are so united. We meet uh, once a month, and I've, they, they, we're so cohesive. You, you, would, you would think in a, in a county this big and this you know, diverse that there would be kind of some tension. We take votes on things, and it's almost, almost always unanimous. Mm -hmm. And so everybody's united. We're going to do our job, just like you said. We're going to get up every day, you know, put our uniform on, and show up for work and do the best we can, even though this is the situation that we have to face every day. Yeah. You know, it's important, I was talking at the beginning of the program, that, that it's important for us to engage in the political arena. Yeah. Uh, as pastors, we should be engaging. As church members, church members should be engaging. And, um, you know, pastors, for, for my entire life, I've heard pastors say that, you know, the Bible says we're supposed to pray for our elected officials. And I was really challenged some time ago when, when a pastor had spoken to a room full of pastors and he said, okay, so the Bible says to pray for those in leadership, for those who are in authority. Who are the members of your city council? What are their prayer requests? Who's on your school board? Who's your district attorney? Right. Who's your sheriff? Who's, you know, and, and he said, you could have heard a pin drop. Yeah. Nobody, nobody knew. Nobody knew who the DA was. Nobody knew who their school board members were. And yet, we'll sit around and we'll complain. Oh, this is horrible. I can't believe the times we're living in. And we've been waiting for the Lord to return. We've been waiting for all these things. God's given us a list of things that we need to, to be aware of. And we see that all these things are happening. And yet, we'll just sit around and complain instead of actually engaging and going and say, Hey, Mike Kestrin, what do you have going on in your life? What can I be praying for you for? You know, These are important things that we need to do to engage because we are to, like the Bible says, occupy until he, he comes back. What does it mean to occupy? To occupy just means to be involved, to actually be what God's called us to be, not just sitting on the couch. Yeah. So there, there's a lot that we can be doing. What would you say to the, to the audience that they, they could do in times like this? Well, certainly prayer. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I, when, I, when people pray for me, I, I truly appreciate it because the, 
the burdens of being a leader in these times is, are, is difficult, as, as you probably know from your leadership as well. Um, and it, it is difficult. Sometimes it weighs on, on an individual. It weighs on a family. So uh, when someone comes in, a, in the midst of you know, all this chaos and my busy life and someone says, and they're genuine, and they say, you know, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you, it almost, it's like everything stops for a minute, mm-hmm. and I'm just reminded again, hey, you know what, I, I can do this. You know, it, it's kind of that, that, there's like a breath of fresh air there. Yeah. I, can't, I can't describe it. But, um, yeah, I mean, t- tell people that you're praying for them. I mean, it means a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, I know that there are people out there that make fun of it, but who cares? Yeah. I, it, it means a lot to people like me. I know it means a lot to our sheriff. And, right. And so um, those, those things are very much appreciated. Yeah. And, and you know, something you said in your opening uh, I don't know if it's a monologue that yeah. you did, but, uh, you know, you, you, you mentioned um, the schools and, and you mentioned about how I, I've been teaching government. You know, it, it's, um, it's very distressing to me to, to be watching people tearing down statues and, and our history. And I, I think they don't understand. It's clear they don't understand our history. Or we have a, a flawed nation, but a great nation. And so I, you know, I've been teaching American government for almost 15 years now. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's too bad that we need to do a better job in this country of t- getting back to the basics and teaching government and teaching what is in our Constitution and, and why it, it came about. It didn't come out from nothing. It, it, it grew out of Western civilization. This is our, our patrimony that, that we've inherited, and we should take care of it. Right. So think with that in mind, we, we take a look at what's going on here in our nation. Of course, this isn't just happening in America. This is happening kind of all over the right. place. We, we see uh, Black Lives Matter protests that are turning violent um, in, in several nations. We see statues coming down, and this is a clear-cut case of, it, it might, and I'll, I'll say the word, it's, it's ignorance uh, because they're, they're, they are uninformed. They do yes. not understand. They have not been taught history. Uh, they, they, and if they have been taught history, it's a revisionist form of history, so they don't really truly understand uh, how this nation was founded, um, how this nation affects things that go on on a global scale, and really the the greatness that is America. It's a really incredible nation. So um, that being said, knowing how we affect the entire world and knowing that God has a plan for all this, how do you see this as we occupy until he returns? How do you see the role of the church? How do you see the role of of you know, elected officials that have a conservative mindset because just disengaging and saying, well, this is just the culture we're living in, it's not going to work. We right. have to engage people. We have to educate people. Um, how, how do you think that's going to take place? You know, it's a great question because, and I struggle with it because I, I don't want to be out there on social media. You know, uh, I don't want to be that guy that's, you know, uh, commenting on everything because, I, you know, I, I don't, my opinion, I don't, I don't feel that I have to give it on everything. I probably need to just you know, stick to what I do and, and, and speak when I need to speak. However, there's a balance as well, because I think sometimes when, when things come up and I don't speak, then, then it's a, something's missing, you know. Um, and I know that, that the sheriff feels the same way. And so on, on issues of criminal justice, on issues that I think the public needs to know about, I come out and I speak forcefully. And I don't care, like I've already said, I, you know, I, I get a lot of um, pushback. I get a lot of, you know, uh, Hatred, I guess, is, is the right term. Um, just recently, I, I spoke out on this, on this initiative, and 
a group of citizens put together a, a, a hit piece and mailed it out to members of the, of the public. You know, and, it, and it, for some of the people in, in my office, it's upsetting you know, to see that. But you know, I told them it, it's okay. It's, that's, it's their right to do that, but I'm not going to stop. And, and then that's the point of it. They want to silence people who don't uh, agree. And we're in a dangerous time because of that. And, and I'm not about to just stay silent and say, Yo, oh, you know, if I don't say anything, maybe I won't get these negative mailers sent out about me. You know, it's in God's hands. It's, it's up to the public, right? So if, if me speaking the truth about, as I, as I perceive it, uh, about these issues leads to me being voted out, okay, so be it. I'll, you know, that, then, then that was what was supposed to happen. But there's no way that, I'm, I, that I feel that elected officials should, should be trimming their sails here and there, trying to, you know, putting their finger up in the wind, trying to say only what's popular. We've got to remember that it, you know, principles don't change in a storm. They, if you have principles, you, you stick to those. And it doesn't matter how hard the wind is blowing outside, the principles don't change. And, and that's what I think elected officials need to remember. If you don't know what you stand for, you probably shouldn't have run for office in the first place. Right. right? But, um, but if you know what you stand for, don't change that because there's a storm outside. You, you stick with it. You, maybe you need to explain it better. Maybe, you know, sometimes I think to myself when, when there's a lot of ignorance about the law or the government, I think, okay, this is a challenge for me. I need to um, double down and, and explain better and go out and speak on more town halls or, or shows like this, and I do. Uh, but there's no way that we should be trying to decide what's popular and, and what's going to get us more likes on social media. That's a terrible way to to govern, it's a terrible way to run uh, a, a, you know, anything. Right, you know, with the, the knowledge that we live in a nation that's been founded on Judeo-Christian values, I mean, that, that's something that's quickly escaping the minds of teachers right now for yeah. some reason across our nation, but it's a, it's a cold hard fact. We were founded on Judeo-Christian values. That being said, it, it is our way of life that is being under attack from people that say that, that you know, this nation's horrible, it's filled with racist, and, you know, all, all the things that they're saying. Well, many of these people have never stepped foot outside of America. Right. I've had the privilege to travel the world. I've been to, to well over 20 countries, almost 30 countries I've been to, and I've, I've seen a vast, you know, variety of different types of cultures. Yeah. And that, that type of experience, when, whenever I have come back to, with the exception of Israel, um, whenever I've come back to America, I'm like kissing the ground. I'm like, thank you, Lord, for getting me back to America. I mean, it's just, it's, it's the greatest place on yes. earth to live. It's the, it's the best nation. Um, you know, Israel to me is like a close cousin. Like we're, you know, Israel's got a lot of the same values yeah. that we have. So it's, it's a place where I go there. I feel comfortable, but, um, America is great. Yeah. So we want to keep it great. You know, we want to do everything we can to, to occupy until he returns. And um, a lot of this is we, we look at the people that are doing these things to attack our nation, and they just really don't understand how wonderful it really is. And it truly is a, a blessed nation. So personally, I, I'm looking at this from the biblical standpoint of, okay, we're founded on these, these principles, and we know that that it's under attack, so what do we do to try to educate people and get them to understand these values and why these values are so important to our, our culture? Um, I, I really don't know what the answer is to that. Other than this is I know that, and I can speak 
to this is the pulpits need to be a lot more vocal about these things. Pastors, priests, um, we, we need to be engaging with our congregation and, and really talking about these political issues. Because like I said, they, we've politicized every issue under the book. Yeah. Uh, we've politicized marriage, sexuality, gender. I mean, it, it's all done. I mean, we, there, I don't know what else we could politicize, but we've politicized things to the point where we really have nothing to talk about on Sunday unless unless we talk about politics. Yeah. And just don't call it politics, just yeah. call it what it is. It's a biblical moral issue. Yeah. But if the pastors will engage, talk about these biblical moral issues, uh, a few things will happen. Number one is when we stand before God, then we can say, Lord, well, at least I told them. And that's part of the job of a watchman yeah. on the wall. God says, listen, you're supposed to look out, you're supposed to see the danger that's coming, and you need to shout, sound the alarm, blow the, blow the trumpet, let people know yeah. uh, that these things are coming. Well, I've been trying to blow the trumpet for a while now. Um, but a lot of people, they're just like, they get uncomfortable with these things because yeah. they're so politicized. Do you find that as a district attorney, you're, you're having to engage in certain things where you want to say something, but you know that, that it's just going to, they're going to flip this on you real quick saying it's, that, you know, that's something you shouldn't be involved in? Or? Oh, yeah. 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 And, and that, that, that's a lot of what I, what I face in, you know, trying to decide whether I should weigh into this particular area or not. You know, but I think that we need a, a great awakening this country you know and, and I think that that needs to span all all different levels it needs to be a civic awakening a moral awakening um, a spiritual awakening I think that you know there's everything that's happening I personally hope that uh, that it wakes up America that people are forced to say well wait a minute how do I want to live how do, what do I what do I want this country to stand for you know and as you say occupy until Christ returns but, but even in that space, what do we want it to be? What do we want to be? Because we get to decide. We, we're self-governed, at least in theory. Right. right. So, um, I, and I'm hoping that, that all of this, you know, leads people to have that introspection and say, um, I, I don't want to live in this way. I don't want to be ruled by a mob. I, I want to go back and reinvigorate our institutions, our constitution, our founding documents, our, you know, let's... Let's trust our leaders again and hold them accountable. If they don't do what we want, let's get rid of them and put someone in who will. Right. But that's going to take some engagement. You know, a lot it of does. people, they don't even know who their elected officials are, let alone what their voting record was. Yeah. And this is where I believe pastors can really fill a void there is, is knowing who the, the elected officials are. Uh, because let's face it, the elected officials are leaders, the pastors are leaders. And biblically, you've got priests and kings. Yeah. Biblically, you've got this, uh, this you know, arrangement where somebody who has a profession of faith and, and, and somebody who is a leader in that faith can hold one another accountable. Like, yeah. Hey, listen, this is what you said that you, you, you believe, and so and this is, what, this is what it says here about that. Yeah. So, you know, we, we can hold one another accountable yeah. to those things. And some people would say, well, you know, that's, that's not fair that you would use this and because uh, not everybody believes in this. Well, that's right. where the whole idea of voting comes into play. We get to vote in the people that we want, and, and if the vast majority want somebody who adheres to this, then great, we get to vote that person in. Yeah. You know, let me, uh, let me give you some numbers. So 2.4 million, right around 2.4 million people in the county of Riverside, um, about half of that number registered to vote. So that's stunning in and of itself. Um, in, a, in a normal off-year election where district attorney and sheriff are, are running for office, about 300,000 people vote. So out of 2.4 million people, about 300,000 people vote in, in a county our so size. So it's an eighth. Yeah. Yeah. So you think about 
you know, you think about all the people that just don't, don't bother, they don't engage. So this is what I mean by we need an awakening. People, there's, there's this vast untapped energy out there because most people are just going about their lives and you're right, they don't know who the DA is. And sometimes I think that maybe that's a good thing, you know, <laughs> but, but, or the sheriff is. Yeah. But, you know, I think this moment is, is a crossroads. It, it is a moment where we have to decide as a community, as a county, as a nation, what do we want to be? And we all need to wake up and decide. Do you want a, a nation of laws, or are we going a different direction? Um, you know, we're, we're, I serve at the, at the pleasure of the public, so let, 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 let me know. If it's, if it's not a nation of laws, I'm probably not your guy, yeah. <laughs> right? Because I have a, a certain set of beliefs. I, you know, I believe strongly in the rule of law. So, but, but I think that you know, the, the number of people who are just disengaged that is a problem, and I think you probably feel it in your churches, mm -hmm. right, as pastor. Right. I certainly feel it as an elected official. The, the public is disengaged. Our institutions have frayed. Our, our education system has frayed. Our government systems have frayed, and, and, and we're not connecting with people anymore. Um, right. Something's got to give. Yeah. You know, there was a, a book that was written called um, The Blueprint, and it's about how Colorado was completely flipped. Um, from being a conservative state to being a actually a left left leaning state now, yeah. um, and the principles in that are what you're talking about. People aren't engaged. Well, it's how to engage people, yeah. and so there's a big movement right now in California on how to implement those types of principles, engaging people and getting getting people to know what they're about to vote for and why they need to vote and why it's important that more than one out of eight people show up to vote. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of that's going to, I keep saying this, a lot of that's going to have to come from the pulpit because these are biblical moral issues and we have to know what we're voting for. So as we attempt to engage people in these things, um, it, it's going to be important for what my friend uh, Don Dix calls uh, political entrepreneurialism. Yeah. You know, we have to, to stop just with the status quo, and we actually have to do something different and unique. And I think about God talking to his people. He actually got upset with his people. Um, well, multiple times he got upset with his people. <laughs> but one time he says, listen, the people of this world are more shrewd than you are. And his, his chastisement on the people was, listen, start being more shrewd. Yeah. Start to actually look at what's taking place, have a plan, how to, how to approach it, how to attack this, yeah. and actually be successful and, and have good, a good outcome. And so yeah. I think heading into the November elections, we can see that there's an attack on our nation right now, an attack on our, our Western civilization, our way of life, our Judeo-Christian values. There's an attack right now. And we, we know that in many ways we're losing. And so we have to face that fact that, that that's happening. We, we have to face the fact that God has called us to occupy until he returns. So how are we going to engage? Are we going to just continue with the same process right. over and over again? Or are we going to be that have that political entrepreneurialism and actually try things that haven't been tried before? And I know for me personally, I, I want to be found. If, you know, when the Lord comes back, he comes back when I'm here. I, I want him to find me busy at work doing something right. for him. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, I, so many of, of my fellow believers and, and, you know, for example, a group of myself and a group of other elected DAs across the state, we, we formed a, pr a prayer group just because we're in a unique position and we, we find that, you know, we, we, we fellowship with one another. We use Zoom. You yeah. know, so, um, but, you know, one of the things that kind of goes back and forth in the discussion that's interesting is, you know, what's our role? God is in charge. We know that. But we're, we have to get up every day and work like crazy. And, and, you know, charge ahead and roll up our sleeves and work, work, work. And, and, and I really do believe that. I think that 
Um, it's, our, it's our calling to do everything we can to right the wrongs, to bring justice, to make the world just a little better, knowing, knowing that you know, we don't have the ultimate authority or we don't have the ultimate power. God's in charge. And, and how things turn out is not up to us, but it doesn't relieve us of that responsibility, I think, to get up and make our society better. Even if it just means making your street better or your you know, community better, it doesn't matter. It, you know, get up and do something positive. Yeah. So let me ask you, uh, I, I agree with you 100%. And, and God, I think God wants to find us busy doing those things. So um, as we look at the men and women in blue, I want to just talk about them for, for a moment, because um, in many ways, they, they are under attack right now. People want to defund the police department. It's just incredible to me that we're living in a time where people actually would say that's a good idea. And um, clearly, to, to live in a society of law and order, which, which people with a Judeo-Christian mindset we want that we want law and order we want uh men and women who are willing to uh, be what we call the sheepdogs you know yeah. these guys with the the teeth and the you know they're they're aggressive like a wolf but they're not a wolf they would never hurt the flock right. you know so um these are men and women who work hard every day they put on the uniform they they protect the freedoms that we have and and our right to to pursue happiness so with that being said we, we have this great value for those men and women, and yet they're arresting people, and they, you know, sometimes they don't even get done with their report, and those same people they arrested are back out on the street. Um, and I'm sure you get some flack for that. Yeah. Um, so what would you say to the men and women in blue who are helping to secure our right to pursue happiness? Well, first thing I would say is thank you, um, because I think that the, the rest of us, in a, you know, and maybe I'll include myself in that, um, I mean, I don't, I don't want to go out into that dark alley and keep the peace. It's a dangerous, scary thing to do. And, right. and to serve your community in that way, it's, it's a special calling. I think you're right. The, the term sheepdog mm -hmm. is, you know, it's a protector. It's someone who is, is willing to help no matter what. Imagine that for a second. They get called to put their life on the line for people they've never met and people that might hate them and spit on them. Right. And yet they still go every day, day in and day out. And you, you, I would challenge anybody who says, you know, police are a bunch of racists. I've never seen a police officer say to the dispatcher, well, you have to tell me what, what's the race of that person who's in trouble. They don't say that. Right. They go and they put themselves in grave danger. So I think the first thing the public ought to say is thank you. Thank them because they're doing that job to keep us safe. What I would say to them and I had the honor of, of doing the ceremonial swearing in for the Menifee Police Department recently. And I, I told what I said to the men and women, the, these new police officers, is, you know, you have chosen something very special. And this county, this people, they appreciate it. And I would say, don't watch the news and think that everybody hates you. There's a small group of people that do. But unless I'm totally wrong about the people of Riverside County and the people of this country, they don't hate the police officers. They don't hate the military. I don't think you're wrong. I think, they, I think that they appreciate mm -hmm. the service and the sacrifice of the people that, that do that on their behalf. And, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people making noise right now, but I, I think that, uh, you, you know, those who understand and appreciate, they're, they're busy working. And they're not out there protesting and they're not pulling down monuments and they're not going to, you know, spit at you. So keep in mind that, you know, the vast majority of people, um, uh, think think highly of those who serve. Yeah, and so what would you say to to the ones that are just 
they're frustrated about the, the arrest and the guys back out because I'm sure that's a frustration to you as yeah. well. It is, and, and I've talked to them about that too. I would say, you know, you were called to serve in, in this particular way, and what a better time to serve, in a sense, than during this kind of crisis. In other words, you weren't called to be a sunshine patriot. You know, you were called to serve in the depths of darkness when lawlessness, lawlessness is raging across the country. That was your time to serve. And so step up, embrace that challenge, do your best, um, treat everybody with respect. You know, my dad was a police officer, and he used to tell me stories of how he survived on the street. And, and what he always said was, you have to be tough but fair with people. And if you're fair with people, in the end, people will be fair with you. Now, I know that doesn't always work out. I know that there are some situations out there where, where police find themselves in a tough, really tough spot for no reason. But I think nine times out of 10, it still holds true. My dad was right. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, we're, we're just about running out of time here. Uh, before we close up, I just want to ask you just for the audience's sake uh, that live in California or know somebody that lives in California, if they wanted to find out more information on the Keep California Safe initiative, how they can get involved, how they can promote it, where do they go, what do they do? Okay, that's a great question and a great way to end. So uh, first thing is that in the fall, this, this initiative is on the ballot. Um, remember that, that the decision is in November. So I don't want people to be confused and think that we're trying to get this on the ballot for some future election. If you go to keepcalsafe.org, um, my friend Don Dix that you mentioned, he says, he calls it a, a plug and play grassroots campaign. So what's really good about the website, and, and I've, they've added now that they've, uh, Prop 20 is now that we have the number, um, there's sample letters, there's all kinds of uh, organization, there's talking points, there's, you know, if, if you want to get, there, there's uh, forms that you can get your neighbors or your, you know, church or your community organization to donate. There's all kinds of things you can do. What I would say is get involved. If you think that we need to change and go back to, um, you know, more of a law and order approach, then get involved. Get involved and yeah. you can make that change. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much for Thanks coming for out. Me, Appreciate you uh, being here today. It's been a joy and a pleasure uh, talking with you about these things. Um, for everybody that's tuning in, I just want to encourage you as we do wait for the Lord to return, I want to encourage you to get involved. Uh, it's, it's a weird thing to say, hey, let's get involved in politics as we're waiting for the Lord to come back. But the fact is, men and women throughout the Bible, I mean, the Bible is replete with stories of men and women who got engaged politically, and they were effective as, as they were waiting either for the first coming of Christ or, or now us, the second coming. Men and women have engaged, they've, uh, they've gotten involved, they've, they've held public officials accountable, they have been public officials themselves, and so as you're waiting for the Lord to return, maybe God's called you to run for office. You've seen all these things going on, you're like, I'm just so frustrated. Well, run for office, run for school board, run for, for uh, city council. Um, if you've got the, uh, the credentials to do it, run for district attorney. Uh, get engaged and be found busy as you wait for the Lord to return, because I don't know about you, but I want him to say those words to me, well done, good and faithful servant. So uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, Pastor Tom Hughes will be back with you next week, but I'm so grateful that I was able to spend this time with you tonight and really do pray that as we wait for the Lord's return, you will be found busy. God bless you. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com. 
check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.